Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Revolution Recap coming to you on Labor Day weekend as the Revolution's winless streak stretched to nine games with a one-to-one draw with the Portland Timbers on Saturday night. The New England Revolution actually got off to a decent start in this game. Uh, in the second half, anyways, it was a kind of a dire first half, devoid of, of any real chances. But I thought the, the Revolution played decently well, at least to start the second half. Uh, got off to a lead uh, through Scott Caldwell after Kellen Rowe volleyed a nice shot on frame. Uh, I believe it was from, was it Till Bunbury that had the cross to him there where he, where he volleyed it on frame and then the tap-in from Scott Caldwell, who put it away to, to put the Revolution ahead, um, only for the Revolution to concede on another set piece, this time a corner kick, um, and end up drawing this game one-to-one, a disappointing result for the Revolution in a game they really needed to get three points out of to have any real realistic chances of making the playoffs at this point, uh, as Montreal has begun to, to play a bit better and actually looked a bit more competent in holding on to that sixth seed. Uh, as I pull up the standings now, the, the Revolution now are at 30 points and Montreal at 36 points. So the, the Revs have a bit of a gap there after Montreal impressively beat the Red Bulls 3 to nothing this weekend. Uh, joining me today is Greg Johnstone. Greg, are the Revs playoffs chances done and dusted at this point? Yes. Uh, short answer, yes. Um, I don't see how the Revs can make up the ground that they need to make up. Um, and looking at their remaining schedule, they have eight games. Three of them are at home. They have home games against Chicago, Orlando, and Montreal. Even if you want to say they're going to take all three of those games and get those nine points, which is optimistic. Um, looking at the road games, I'm very skeptical. You have New York City FC this Wednesday. You have LAFC. You go on the road at Toronto and at Atlanta. And then you have a game at Real Salt Lake. Um, so, I mean, you'd need to win, I would say, at least one of those games on the road. I guess it would be Real Salt Lake. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to be able to pick up a win on the road at this point. And even if they end the season with a uh, three three win, three draws, and two losses, which I think is, again, a little optimistic, uh, that gives you about 12 points. And that, that puts them – hang on, sorry. Let me make sure I have the right numbers here. That puts you at 42 points on the season, um, which Montreal right now is currently sitting at 36 points and they you know i think they have seven points left in them based on their current form uh and and they had another impressive win last night so um overall i I would say just looking at the math um there would have to be a total 180 from this team in terms of uh confidence and uh just ability to score uh for them to to take some road points and i I really just don't see it and i think uh, we talked about a little bit last week and weeks before um i think coming out a little bit I don't want to say flat against Portland because they seem to be the better team, but not getting the result you want against Portland. Um, that was uh, kind of the nail in the coffin, uh, in my mind, for the Revolution playoff hopes. Yeah, and we look, talked about the schedule before the show, too, and I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think the, the three home games, um, if you ignore the fact that the Revolution are in such horrible form, I think all three of those home games on paper, you know, based on the talent that's on the Revolution roster and based on what we saw earlier in the season, are winnable games. Based on how they're playing, I'm not sure that they actually are. But then you look at the road games, and New York City FC, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference on the road, uh, it's hard to see the Revolution getting any, much of anything out of that. I think a draw would be optimistic. Uh, going across country to LAFC, who have been one of the best teams in the league this year, again, uh, I think a draw would, would be overly optimistic. You know, at Toronto... 
Um, we've talked all season about how talented Toronto is. They still haven't really figured it out, which is kind of shocking to me. So you know, maybe if you're being really optimistic, the Revolution can go into Toronto and, and, and get a win there. Uh, I don't see it happening, but you know, it could happen. Uh, and then Atlanta, obviously the best team in the East. You know, is the Revolution going to go to Atlanta and get a victory? I think you're crazy if you think that. You know, things happen in soccer, but I don't see that. And and Salt Lake, you mentioned Salt Lake. You know, they've been actually been playing pretty well lately, and they're up to, to fourth in the Western Conference. Um, they're ten one and three at home. I think they have the the second best home record in all of MLS. So you know, on paper, Salt Lake maybe doesn't have the most impressive team, but they've actually been playing really well. And the Revolution would go into that game on short rest too. So. Uh, you know, if if you're insanely optimistic, the Revolution maybe have four games in there that they can win, um, but I don't think that's enough to to make the playoffs at this point because they backed themselves into into such a tight spot where I think they they're going to need more than that. Um, so yeah, I think playoff hopes are are over at this point. Um, as disappointing as that is for Revolution fans, given you know the, the decent start that this team had, and um, I think there was a lot of hope going into the season with the the promise of guys like Christian Pania and Caicedo and how well they were doing, but uh, right now a lot of that hope is lost. And you know I think you know you talk about those guys; they're some of the guys that haven't been performing in recent weeks either. And, and I was talking to Ryan a little bit after the show, after we we recorded, and we made note that you know DC has also been. Uh, moving up in the standings. I know, Sean, you kind of called that earlier in the season. You mentioned that TC had been playing on the road a lot, and once they got Wayne Rooney in and once they got in their new stadium, um, we'd see some massive improvement from them. Uh, DC United is three points behind them, and they have two games in hand. Um, you have Toronto FC, who is... They've played one more game, but you know they obviously have a very talented squad. Uh, we, we were saying there's a much better chance that the Revolution are going to end the season in ninth place than they are in sixth place. Um, I, I still don't think they've even hit the bottom of where they are in the standings. So um, it, it's kind of, I, I don't know, you'd, you'd have to see a total, total change in everything from the Revolution going down this home stretch to go up against that better competition uh, and to come out against wins. And another thing I, I kind of joked about is that you know they started out the, the beginning of the season so well that's almost the worst thing that could have happened for the revolution because I think as time has gone on, we're, you know, going into the season, I didn't think this was a playoff team. I thought this was a bit of a rebuild year and then they started out so promising. And I think they've really shown their stripes in uh, recent weeks. And um, I, I just think for the first three months or so, uh, we are under a bit of an illusion. This team was better than they actually are. And I know that might sound a bit harsh, but um you know, they haven't won a game since June, and playoff teams just flat out don't do that. Uh, and I'll bring up one other point, too, uh, and it's it's interesting to note, and I'll, I'll give a shout-out to uh, the other Revolution podcast, Six States, One Pod. Uh, they kind of made their own projections, and uh, they kind of came up with a number of 20 points. That the Revolution needed 20 points over the last nine games. Uh, and, and when you think of that number, that just seems absolutely crazy that, you know, uh, there's n- absolutely no way the revolution will get to that point. Um, uh, 20 points, that mean they have to end the season with 50 points, which was where the playoff line was last year. And and that seems rightish, you know. Uh, so uh, just to give you an idea of like where the revolution would have to go in order to make the playoffs, it's a near impossible task. Even if you told me, you know, the revolution needed 15 points to make the playoffs, I, I don't think there's any chance they get 15 points over these last eight games. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I'm with you completely. I, I just don't see how the revolution recover from this. And you mentioned the, the 20 points. So I'm looking at uh, Sports Club Stats, which is a, an interesting website because they do simulations to see you know what percent chance a team would have to make the playoffs if they finish with a certain record. So to, to the... For the Revolution to have more than a 50% chance of making the playoffs, uh, they have the Revolution of having needing to win five games of their last eight. 
Uh, and, you know, as we just went over that schedule, uh, I don't see a way in which the Revolution could possibly win more than four, and I think four is extremely optimistic. Um, so five, if they go five wins, three losses, they have a 57% chance of making the playoffs. So just to have a 57% chance of making the playoffs, which isn't that great, um, and all things considered, and given you know the the trajectory of DC United and what we know Toronto's capable of too, as far as you know catching up to, to Montreal as well, um, you know, it, it doesn't look good. And then uh, if they were to finish with four wins, three draws, and, and one loss, um, they would have a fifty five percent chance. And both of those scenarios put the Revolution at forty five points. Um, so maybe a bit more optimistic than twenty points would be them getting fifteen points. Um, which would then again put them at 16 points because that you know we mentioned six days one pod that was before the last game, um, but you know still extremely unrealistic, um, and you know just 14 points puts them at you know 39 percent or 38 percent, which uh, again is is not so great given what you talked about with DC and Toronto. And the only thing I'll say with DC is that they did just have a very disappointing week um, in which they played three games and they lost the Red Bulls on Wednesday and then lost at home to Philadelphia, so that was uh, a huge blow to them. Um, but all things considered, I would still say they're in much better form than the Revolution, and I agree with you that I think ninth, ninth place for the Revolution is much more realistic than sixth place at this point, um, because if I'm you know, being honest, looking at it, everyone in the Eastern Conference, I don't think, um, you know, I think D.C. and Toronto are both playing better, even with Toronto struggling than the Revolution right now, and are both capable of overtaking them, and you know, with the exception of Orlando City and Chicago, I, I don't see anyone playing worse uh, than the Revolution at this point of the season, so... Um, and, you know, the other thing worth noting, too, is this nine-game uh, winless streak is the longest winless streak the Revolution have had since 2012, in which they had a 10-game winless streak, which also happened to be Jay Heap's first season. Uh, Heap's managed to turn things around going into the next year. Um, but the one thing I'll say there, and I don't know if you agree with this, I'm curious your take, is, you know, you look at Jay Heap's roster in 2012, and for all the excuses people have made for Brad Freeland, I don't want to go too much into that because I'm going to get into that later, um, you know, I think Jay Heaps had a much worse roster in 2012 than Brad Friedel has now. Yeah, and and we Ryan and I talked about this, and I actually want to ask you this question too because we had a question last week of whether or not this season is the low point for the Revolution, and we we said you know compared to 2011, 2012, that seemed to be the absolute low point. There's at least a some talent on this roster that you can rebuild with, but that was the exact thing we said, which was that you know that roster was really poor. There was really no hope with those teams, and uh, you know, through the draft, uh, through some trades, uh, Jay Heaps kind of helped pull that team out of that hole back in 2012-2013. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with your, your your statement that these these results, you know, you you compare this team to the 2012 team. I mean, I, I still consider this team to be um, a lot more promising than, than that team. But yeah, so what, what's your thoughts? I mean, in in terms of the Revolution's history, are we close to the low point here, Sean? You know, I, I agree with what you were saying, is that results-wise and how they're playing right now is, you know, almost as bad as I've seen them play. Um, it, it, you know, they're not really playing entertaining soccer. Um, it, you know, it's easy to say that when they're losing, but I just don't, I don't think in general this season they've played very entertaining soccer. They've, they've thrived on, you know, turnovers in the attacking third and sloppy play from their opponents to, to create goals for the most part. Um, but, you know, I agree with you. I think there's still a lot of promise on this team and a lot of talents on this team. And I don't think they're that many players away, but I think they're also a strategy away, too, because I don't think what Brad Friedel is doing is working. And again, I don't want to get too much into that because I have a lot more to say on that later. Um, but no, I, I agree that 2012 um, probably seemed like more of a low point. Um, and I think that Jay Heaps, you know, for, you know, for all you want to say about Jay Heaps, I think 2013, what he did that year um, with that roster, that was you know, maybe a little bit changed. But I, I think... 
he managed to very much overperform with the roster in 2013. Um, you know, after struggling very mightily in 2012 with a roster that wasn't very good. So I don't know if Brad Friedel is going to be able to do the same thing next year. Um, but I do think 2012 looked more bleak and they managed to turn that around where this season there are still, you know, some promising talents. We talked about Pania, Casado. Uh, if they can retain those guys next year, um, Fagundes, if, you know, he's been in a slump now, but if they can keep him and find a way to get him going, I do think there's more hope now than there was then. Nope, I, I agree completely. And, and Sean, I have one more stat for you, just because I know uh, you hate benching starters for the U.S. Open Cup, but I, I wanted to throw this stat out just because you haven't been on in a while, and I figured you'd love it. But Revolution have won one game since the U.S. Open Cup, which seems like an eternity ago. So just to put into perspective how poor this season, this summer has been, you know, it seems like every year we go through the summer slump, but this summer, for whatever reason, has been insanely miserable and insanely disappointing. So... Yeah, that's my thoughts on uh, the, the recent form uh, of Leighton. I don't know. They, they'd have to do a total 180 to, to pull themselves out of this, and I just flat out don't see it. Yeah, I forget I forget what the stat was, but I remember at the time of the Open Cup game, I looked it up to see how the Revolution had done when they rested players against lower division teams in the following MLS game, and it almost, you know, more often than not, they ended up losing the next game anyway. So, I, yeah, you know how I feel about that. I, I'm a big believer in that winning breeds winning, and you can't turn things on and turn things off like that. So... Um, I don't know. I don't know if that was the the turning point here. I think the the Los Angeles Galaxy loss was was the real turning point that they, for whatever reason, haven't been able to pull themselves out of. And I think that falls on coaching to a certain extent to you know for a team not to get past that. But that to me was the the turning point. But I do agree that um, as far as you know, Open Cup goes, it was disappointing that that, that happened in, in the play since then. Um, but I do want to jump more into the game on Saturday with the Revolution tying the Portland Timbers. Um, again, as I said, the Revolution got off to a lead in the second half, only to fall. Uh, only to tie 1-1, giving up that equalizer. Um, the Revolution did have 62% possession in this game, which is highly unusual this year, but it seemed like Portland was just content, basically, to sit back and, and, let, and let them have it. Uh, what, what was your main takeaway from this game? Uh, well, my main takeaway, and not to pump my own tires here, but uh, Kellen Rowe is who we thought he was. Uh, I thought he, he provided a, a bit of a spark to the Revolution that seemed to be missing in recent weeks. Uh, he got it started really in the first minute with that back heel to Teal Bunbury, which I don't want to say should have been a goal, but certainly led to a great chance on goal. Um, he had that nice volley, which led to the Scott Caldwell goal. Um, his passing numbers were not impressive uh, on the face. It was 64%, uh, but 10 of those were crosses, and most of those were desperation crosses towards the end of the game. Um, he also had a couple of uh, really good runs in behind the defense uh, that uh, were dangerous. I, I think there was one where Christian Pena, he, he was streaking towards the goal, and he was wide open, and Christian Pena had a, had a long cross from the right side that was just way over his head. Um, so Rowe certainly uh, showed he was a little bit da- more dangerous than Diego Fagundes has been in recent weeks. And I, I think it was really good seeing him uh, get in there and, and get a full 90. And um, I would like to see him get more minutes going forward. Uh, that was kind of a key talking point from last week about how he didn't even get into the game. So um, I, I think he provided another uh, weapon in the Revolution midfield. I'm not sure how their formation is going to shake out because I was really surprised that they put him in the 10 and they moved Fagundes around. But overall, I, I think Kellen Rowe kind of solidified that uh, – you know, if you want to score goals uh, or if you want to have a, a really strong offensive lineup, he should be somewhere on the field. Yeah, and it, you mentioned his passing numbers, and obviously, you know, the, the offensive, the offense in general didn't have the best passing numbers accuracy-wise, with the exception of Bunbury. But I don't think Bunbury actually had that many passes given the position he plays. Um, with 
with that, I, I agree with you. I think we talked earlier in the season that wanted to see Keller at the number 10. We saw him, I believe, one game earlier this year. I forget which one it was, and he didn't look that good. Um, but I do think he looked decent in this game. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter not very happy with his performance. Um, he did drift in and out of the game. I don't think he necessarily had as big of an influence all, you know, throughout the entire game as you would have liked to have seen. Um, but Fagundes has really fallen off in that position lately, I think. And, I, you know, I've always thought that Fagundes is best positioned on the wings where he can, you know, have more space to run at guys and cut inside. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm glad we saw Kellen Rowe there. I think he's earned, you know, more time there. I don't think he's you know, locked down that spot by any means. Um, but he did create the, the two best chances the Revolution had in this match. He did get credited with two key passes um, as well. And so, you, you know, you look at, at that performance, and I think you should give him another chance. But what did you think of Diego Fagundes' performance, you know, being pushed out on that wing and, and getting subbed at halftime? You know, he was a guy that Brad Friel had so much faith in earlier in this year, but it seemed like both pushing him to the wing and that substitution uh, showed that Brad Friedel might be losing a little bit of uh, faith in, in Fagundes, didn't it? Yeah, it, it was a bit of a strange one because um, I wasn't entirely sure why they pulled him off. I, I didn't notice in real time uh, a bad half from Fagundes. He, he didn't seem very involved and he didn't seem very dangerous, but he didn't do anything totally horrible. I, I went back and I kind of rewatched bits of the game this morning and I, he did turn the ball over a little bit. Um, he did. He did seem to have a bit of an off game. He he had a fifty percent pass percentage. So um, and he, he did have another uh, shot that was kind of a little bit wild, where he, he kind of airmailed it over the ball. The, the bar Scott Caldwell kind of um, intercepted a pass. Pagundas kind of came around, shot it with his right foot, and kind of airmailed it. So um, he he didn't do anything spectacular uh, yesterday. I will say that. And um, I don't know. Maybe he just hasn't played out on the wing in a while. But I, he he usually is running all over the field. I, I don't think really the wing position would be that uh, confusing for him. So. Um, and then I kind of thought, well, maybe they want to move uh, Pania back to the left side because I thought Pania had a bit of a strange game on the right side. He didn't seem to be fully comfortable playing that right wing position. Uh, but then they brought out Agadello, and then I think for the first 20 minutes of the second half, Agadello played on the left side, and they had Pania on the right side before switching him back. So um, it, it was a bit of an interesting game overall. They they kind of seem to be trying different things, and um, yeah, I, I, Fagundes for whatever reason just had a really had an off game and he, he's been slumping a little bit overall in recent weeks. Maybe he's a little fatigued, I guess. I, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, his, his form lately has not been as good as it was uh, earlier in the summer and earlier in the spring. And um, with him being removed at halftime, I mean, if you believe Friedel's, uh, you know, comments and his uh, mentality, you wonder if maybe there's something happening behind the scenes with Fagundes, whether he's uh, slacking in training, maybe he has an injury that we don't know about. Um, I'm not totally sure, but uh, Fagundes' performances have dropped in recent weeks, and uh, I don't think last game really did anything, did him any favors, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I agree. And the, the other sub in this game was Scott Caldwell coming out. I thought Scott Caldwell was one of the better performers for the Revolution, but do you think this was a bit of Brad Friedel learning from his mistakes and you know having his two defensive midfielders on yellow cards pulling him out there to, to be safe? Well, and that was another thing, too. When we are talking about Kellen Rope, I also want to say that I love when Scott Caldwell and Caicedo are on the field together. I think they're a really great pairing. I think they bring a lot of great stuff to the, the press. Um, I, I, I understand the logic, too, that they said during the game, which is that they uh, wanted to bring Zahibo on because both Caldwell and Caicedo had yellow cards. Um, and, and the other thing, too, that Zahibo is going to provide when you have him in the game uh, is he's going to be able to uh, help you out on set pieces, both offensively and defensively. Um, he's a bit taller, and he's he's, got, he's a much better you know header of the ball than, uh, than Scott Caldwell. So um, I, I didn't think it was uh, – 
anything to do with Scott Caldwell's performance overall. I thought Scott Caldwell played great yesterday. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if it was uh, Brad Friedel learning from his mistakes of bringing on someone a little too, a little too late because he still didn't use his third sub. Uh, I think it was just a matter of uh, he didn't want to go the final 15 minutes of the game with uh, two midfielders that are running all over the place and uh, are very aggressive. Uh, you know, Scott Caldwell missed last game uh, due to a red card. I don't think he wanted that experience again. So uh, he wanted to get Sahibo out there to uh, kind of prevent that from happening. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah, and let's talk about that lack of a use of third sub again. Um, you do have two guys on there that, in theory, could help your offense, and Brian Wright and, and Zach Hervu. And you know, Frito was talking so highly about Zach Hervu at the start of the season. Um, you know, were you surprised that again that third sub didn't get used in this game, or did you feel that none of those guys could have actually helped? Um, you know, as the Revolution were pressing for a winner late in the game. Yeah, just just going off of Brett Friedel's strategy recently, I, I wasn't surprised by it at all. Um, I was a little surprised. I thought Harrow might have come on kind of in the final few minutes, which we've seen Brad Friedel do before. Um, but you know, Brian Wright we, hasn't really done anything in the you know cups of coffee of, of playing time he's had uh, towards the end of the game. So I, I didn't foresee him coming on for Teal Bunbury. Um, I didn't. I don't know who Haravo would go on for. Maybe I think, don't think you'd want to pull Caicedo or Kellen Rowe at that point, even though he's <laughs> he's been subbed on as a, over Kellen Rowe, you know, t- last week. Um, I, I don't think that was something that they necessarily wanted to do. So I don't know who you would have put on for that third sub, which speaks to the the quality of the bench. <laughs> um, overall, I don't think there's a really a third person on that bench that. Um, Friedel trusts, um, you know, Knighton obviously won't come on. Delamea obviously won't come on. I don't think Christian Machado would have added anything in the final minutes. So, um, Haribo is really the only person of the bench options that I could see coming on. And I don't know who you would want to pull off in that scenario. Well, is it too soon in the season to like, look at this game and, and, you know, I think it was Brad Friedel that said, this is a cup final for us. Every game is a cup final. Is it too soon in the season to look at this game and say, well, maybe we should take a defender off and you know, put on. Brian Wright to to try to get another attacking player on the field and, and go for the win, even if it ends up, you know, costing us in the end. Uh, you know, is it is it too soon in the year to say that, especially against a Western Conference opponent? Because, uh, you know, dropping a loss here, it's not a six pointer. It's not like you're helping out your opponent catch up to you. Yeah, yeah, you might lose a point, but you know, three points were, were more important for the Revolution than one point here because, as we said, one point doesn't you know really keep you alive in the playoff hunt realistically. Yeah, and I don't hate the logic too, especially considering that they should have given up a, a game-winning goal in the final minutes. On the uh, uh, thank God Milano just flat out whiffed on that uh, <laughs> that cross across the box. Um, I, I don't hate that logic. Uh, I understand why Friedel didn't do it, uh, but you're right. I think they needed three points. This was a must-win. So if you want to put on Brian Wright or Harbo, go ahead. Um, but again, I, I don't know. I don't know how that would have looked. I don't know. Maybe they didn't have a lot of confidence. And, you know, I also I, I just don't feel like Brian Wright is this guy that's going to come on and totally change the games in the final minute. Um, I, I I get why what that didn't happen. But I also see your argument. I would have I wouldn't have been opposed to uh, maybe bringing on another offensive player. But the fact of the matter is, you know, there, there really is no game changing player on this bench. I, I guess if you wanted to look at it that way. You you know, if Fagundas was still in the game, they could put Juan Agadello on in the final 20 minutes and have them both on the field at the same time, you know, um, but and and take off a defender, I guess, Andrew Farrell or Brandon Bay or something like that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I was not expecting a third sub as uh, the, the minutes were winding down. I don't think there's anyone on that bench that Brad Friedel can uh, point to and say, you know, go out a spark to this game. I just don't think there is there was another uh 
you, you know, uh, spark on that bench. Yeah, and you, you mentioned a couple names out there. Brandon Bay, that's a guy I wanted to talk about quickly because um, something we haven't seen this year, he was the number one player on the team in touches. Um, and, you know, if you look at the, the passing chart in this one, it seemed like both Portland attacked um, the majority of time down the right flank and the Revolution spent a lot of their time attacking down the left flank through Brandon Bay. What did you think of his performance? Um, and do you think it was, you know, by design that he ended up this game with 77 touches? I don't know if it was by design, but I, I will note. I have noticed that he does push up a lot more, and they are trying to get him uh, kind of in the midfield spaces more. We've seen that kind of too with Andrew Farrell, but um, yesterday Luis Caicedo was really tracking back and kind of covering for by, and he was going up and um, exploiting the left wing a, l- a little bit more also and, and getting more involved in the offense, um, which is pretty interesting because I don't think Brandon by is really that effective as an offensive player on the left side. Um, I, I think we've seen him play right back and he's able to run up and he's a lot more confident with his right foot and swinging and crosses. Um, we haven't seen him really cross with his left foot. We haven't seen him do the things he was doing uh, in, in the spring when, when he was playing at right back. Um, so it is interesting, but they, they clearly see him as kind of like a uh, wing back midfielder type. Um, and um, again, I don't know if he was intentionally uh, supposed to lead the team in touches, uh, but usually the leader in the team in touches is a wing back and it's whoever pushes up a little bit more. So it, it certainly isn't surprising to me, but uh, you mentioned that Portland is, is running down the right side. And I think um, DC and uh, Philadelphia also are kind of pushing the ball down the right side too. Uh, I think Brandon Bay is leaving a lot of space behind him, uh, and teams are really trying to exploit that. And Caicedo is the guy that's coming in, or Jaleel Anibaba. Uh, they're, they're, they're the people that are uh, kind of covering that space for for Brandon Bay because um, he's flat out just up the field trying to to get involved in the offense. Yeah, I agree. That that makes sense. That uh, you know. Brandon Bay has been pushing up a lot, but the, the I don't know if the the actual effectiveness of what he's done offensively ha, has been enough. And it's interesting to note that he was the lowest rated Revolution starter um, by who scores ratings with with six point one three. He led the team in times dispossessed at four and was tied with Bunbury and unsuccessful touches at four. Um, so he saw a lot of the ball. He also you know turned over the ball a decent amount. Um, his passing percentage was was fine uh, at seventy seven percent. No complaints there. Uh, not seventy five percent, sorry, um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting that he has saw so much of the ball, and I don't think he was particularly uh, effective with it. Um, but I do want to jump to to my takeaway, which relates to to Brad Friedel, and uh, just looking at the comments that he made after the game uh, from you know Jonathan Siegel reported in the post game press conference that Brad Friedel uh, quote I told the players to their face that every single one of them are playing for their contracts, absolutely. Uh, it continued by saying, we're learning a lot about what's happened here the last few years, end quote. Um, that was kind of fascinating to me, those comments. Uh, I, I, you know, Friedel has been unaf- unafraid to call out guys in front of the media this year, which is you know, a bit of a change of pace from, from what we've seen in the past. Um, and I don't know how that's working. It seems like you know, during this losing streak, this winless streak, he's done it particularly a lot. And I, I, I'm not sure the players certainly by the results on the field, have responded well to that. Um, and that comment about we're learning a lot about what's happened here the last few years, to me, seems like a bit of deflection by Friedel um, as to you know the, the atmosphere or what was created by the past few years from the, from the coaching staff maybe set these guys up for, for failure. Um, 
with, with that said, the Revolution had more points per game under Jay Heaps uh, the past several seasons than they have under Brad Friedel in each of those seasons. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much I can, you know, agree with, with Friedel's comments on this. And, you know, you see a lot of excuses made for Brad Friedel about, um, you know, how these aren't his guys. And next year, you know, he'll really be able to put his stamp on the team. But, Look at that back line in this game. So you have Gio Anibaba. He was a guy that Brad Friedel brought in. You have Michael Mancian. He was another guy that, that Brad Friedel brought in. You have Brandon Bai, another guy Brad Friedel brought in. And yeah, you can say he was a rookie and kind of forced to play him. But the reason he was forced to play him was because Gabriel Somi, a guy Brad Friedel brought in, underperformed. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't say Brad Friedel brought him, but were brought in under Brad Friedel's tenure, so under his watch. Um, and, you know, so you look at that. And there's three quarters of your defense. And to be honest, Andrew Farrell, the, the other member of the defense, for all we, you know, the negatives we said about him, has probably been their most consistent defender this year. So he's the one guy that he didn't bring in. Uh, so it seems a bit unfair, looking at the defense, to call them out that way. And then you look at the defensive midfielders. The two most expensive defensive midfielders on the roster are Luis Caicedo and Wilfred Zahibo. Those are both guys that were brought in under Brad Friedel's tenure. Um, yes, you know, Scott Caldwell played this game, but he was, again, probably their best player. So there's the guy that was held over from Jay Heaps, who's actually the one that's performing the best out there. Um, and then, you know, we talked about Kellen Rowe. He's been off and on this season, hasn't played the best. Sure. Talk about Diego Fagundes. Well, yeah, Diego Fagundes hasn't played the best lately. But, you know, again, he's a guy that Brad Friedel put all that faith into, put him as a center attacking midfielder. Um, and he was, you know, really talking him up and praising him. Uh, so to, to some extent, to me, that, you know, falls a bit on Brad Friedel because he's the one that's put him in that position and, and put all this pressure on him. So, you know, is, is it fair to, to blame Jay Heaps for that? I don't know. And then, yeah, yeah striker situation, sure. Teal Bunbury, Aguadello, those are guys that have been holdovers. And um, Bunbury actually played really well this year for at the beginning of the season. Um, but it's, it's just a funny comment to me because, you know, you can pick and choose and look at some poor performances from, from guys that are, you know, holdovers from the Jay Heaps era. But, you know, by and large, I think a lot of the guys that have been performing poorly lately are Brad Friedel guys. Is that unfair to say? No, it's not unfair to say. And, you know, it, it's hard for me to kind of go and pick and choose which which players. To, uh, I, I get your point overall. Uh, I still think that it just seems like a cop out to me from Brad Friedel. It to, does. It, to, no, to it is. That you, comment you, after you, a game like that. Well, and not just that, but why was this team performing in April and May? And why is it not performing now? Like, what is the logic there that, you know, Brad Friedel, this team was perfectly fine under Brad Friedel in the first few months, and the season's gone on, and they're on this long losing streak. I mean, just the logic there is, you know, why are they performing here and not performing there? And, and you know, it's it's there's something else going on, and, and you do wonder if his tactics are kind of wearing down the team, if morale is low with this team. Um, we kind of talked last week, some people – want to know if Brad Friedel's on the hot seat. And I said, you know, the only way I can see that is if he loses the locker room. And I, I don't want to say that it looks like the locker room has been lost. Cause I still do think there are guys out there that are hustling, um, that are, that are really giving their all. Um, but to ru- routinely and on a weekly basis, call out your players, which has been the last few weeks, you know, it, it's just not a good trend. And, you know, some weeks, uh, the other thing too, is I, I felt like this team, the revolution were the better team. So to kind of call them out and say, you know, their head's not in it, their heart isn't in it. When they came out and they played against a, a really decent Portland team, I know they weren't with Valeri yesterday, but, um, you know, they really controlled that game. And if it wasn't for a, a set piece, which that's another conversation that I'm sure we'll have in a few minutes, Sean, um, you know, they, they would have had three points. Uh, th- that was the only shot Portland had within the 18-yard box. Um, so it, 
the scoreline says 1-1, but, uh, you know, the Revolution, I thought, were really unlucky yesterday. And overall, when you're, you're going to come out and you're going to criticize your players for not having enough heart when they, they were the team in control, uh, I just think that's not a good look. So I understand what he's trying to do. I understand he's trying to motivate them. But, you know, we, this is nine straight games without a victory. And I, I think it's only going to do damage at this point. Um, I think two telling players that they are playing for their contract. We'll get into this a little bit later, too, when we get to Twitter questions, Sean. But, I mean, <laughs> that just seems to me... If you if you make that that comment to your locker room, okay. If you're going to make that comment publicly, I think you're basically going to be telling everyone who's making the team and who's not making the team based on who you're playing. You know what I mean? So now we're going to be looking at substitutions and we're going to be able to pick out and choose, okay, this guy's not playing next year because, you know, he's he's not getting into the game like Femi. Like it, it's pretty clear Femi's not going to be <laughs> on the team next year cuz he's not making the 18 and when he does he's not playing. You know, so I, I think what Friedel's doing is he's creating kind of a bit of a circus that he doesn't really need right now. You know, all you really need to say in the the, the post game comments is that you're unlucky. But yeah, when when you say you know the team doesn't have the head and the heart in the game, e- even if it's true, it's a bad look. And and I think you're right. I don't think it is true. And I, I think it's kind of a bit of a deflection from Friedel. And you're right. He he has to take responsibility for the guy for for Somi who he's brought in for Zahibo who he's brought in. Why Claude Yelna is the captain one week and two weeks later, he's not traveling with the team. You know, I think a lot has happened here that the public does not know about. And, you know, for Brad Friel to kind of shift the blame on the players and, and to do it so publicly, I, I think you're right. It, it's not a good sign at all. And, uh, you know, I, I still don't think Brad Friel is on the hot seat. I still think he needs a full winter to bring in new players and to kind of fill out a bench that, he wants to use. I think he needs a, a bench where all the players realistically might come into the game and not one or two players that he trusts. But you're, you're absolutely right that Brad Friel deserves a good chunk of blame for this season. Uh, and, you know, if the players' hearts aren't in it, uh, I think he needs to kind of look at why. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely accurate, everything you said there. And, you know, looking at more Brad Friel quotes from this game, the other thing he said was, we want winners. I've said it many times. We'll have winners here. That's how it's going to be. The staff and myself won't accept things of this nature for long, end quote. And, you know, again, what does that mean we won't accept things of this nature for long? It seems like, you know, they've been benching guys that haven't been performing and that hasn't really done anything. So it's it's just, you know, endless cycle of, um, you know, he keeps saying the stuff to the media, you know, talking about players uh, publicly, that maybe haven't had the best game, and then you know, or you know, generically about guys that haven't had played well, and then benching them, and it's obvious who you know who's in the doghouse and who's not. But it just it doesn't seem to be working, and I I just agree with you that I agree that you know it needs to be stuff that's said behind closed doors because calling these guys out publicly, it, I, I get it as a motivation tactic, but um, you know he's been doing it throughout this nine game winless streak, and it doesn't seem to be motivating anybody uh, based on what we saw out there because yeah, yeah, they were in control of that game, but. I didn't really see urgency at the start of this match. Did you? I mean, they, they didn't manage a single shot on target. I think they had four shots in the first half. Um, and, you know, none of them were particularly too dangerous. The urgency kind of came up in the second half. And that's kind of been a theme in this win streak, too, is that there hasn't really been urgency until the game's gotten later. Is that something you'd also, you know, you've seen as well? Yeah, it seems like that's been a trend as the season goes on too. Um, I don't have any stats in front of me. That's a really good question. I, I should see how many goals they've scored in the first half in recent weeks. It seems like they'll go into halftime zero, zero, uh, Friedel will question their energy and, 
you know, uh, their ability to uh, hustle. Uh, then they come out, score a goal in the 55th, 60th minute, and then concede it 20 minutes later on a set piece. That seems to be the, the story of the season. Um, you're right. I, I, I don't think there was a whole lot of urgency. It wasn't a, really a team playing for, um, you know, pl- their playoff lives. I do think, though, you have to give credit to Portland. They kind of came in and it seemed like they were doing kind of what Seattle wanted to do, which is that they know New England's strength is to – um, intercept a pass, kind of move the ball in, in transition and score on the counterattack. And they seem to have wanted to come in and just not get beaten that way. And the Revolution really don't have another way to <laughs> beat opponents. Uh, they, they don't really have a lot of creative players in midfield. Kellen Rowe, I thought, did a great job yesterday. But overall, there was still some, you know, passes not working out. Um, I thought uh, the, the wingbacks and the, the wingers – um, I, I thought Fagundes and Brandon Bai didn't really have a good connection passing the ball yesterday. Uh, it seemed like Andrew Farrell wasn't really uh, overlapping with Christian Pena and Pena wanted him to. I think it took until the second half for, for Andrew Farrell to uh, kind of overlap with him and, and run up the field. Um, so overall, it just seemed like um, they were really, really shaky yesterday in terms of uh, moving the ball. Uh, Paul Mar- Mariner mentioned it too. You know, they'd get counterattacks and be really slow, and he, he was really just – kind of tearing into them for how slowly they were moving the ball and, and how many chances they were losing. And uh, that just seemed to be kind of the theme of the night. And I think Portland did a really good job of slowing them down. And New England just didn't have a creative way to uh, get around that defense. And, and you're right. They, they didn't seem to have any urgency until the second half when they were just kind of swinging in crosses and hoping that one would find the head of a player. Yeah. And you talk about Portland. We should mention too, that this was a weekend Portland squad that faced the revolution um, you know, on paper, this looked like a difficult game for the Revs, but then Portland, going into it, uh, had a very tough schedule last weekend. They played uh, the Sounders at home. They lost that game. That was, you know, obviously a big rivalry match. Everyone gets hyped up for that. Um, they played Toronto at home on Wednesday, so they had a midweek game, won that game. And then they came into New England and really benched um, some of their best players. You know, not even on the 18 was Diego Chara. Um, we all know how good he can be as a defensive midfielder. Diego Valeri. One of the best playmakers in the league wasn't out there. Uh, and then you look, you look at what happened in the game. Jeff Antonia ended up getting subbed out, their starting goalkeeper, in the 55th minute. So this was a you know, much weakened Portland Timbers side. Um, and again, you know, on paper, this was ripe for the picking for the Revolution based on the lineup that they put out there. But like you said, they went out there and did exactly what they needed to do uh, to get a point out of this one. And I think they were perfectly content with that point. Um, and of course, their their coach you should mention was was Giovanni Savarese, who was one of the guys that uh, people had mentioned as maybe a candidate for the the Revolution's coaching job when they went another direction. Um, so you know, good good job by Portland there, and good job by by Savarese coming in here with uh, some great tactics uh, for to to get a result out against the Revolution at Gillette Stadium. Um, but yeah, it was just really disappointing for from the Revolution perspective to go into a game like this with you know every opportunity to to get something out of this more than a point out of this, um, and you know absolutely needing it and just you know kind of falling flat as the as the game went on. But Sean, I, I have a question for you though, because we, we're talking about urgency and whatnot. I mean, don't you think them switching up the formation? So I don't want to say so radically, but and I, again, I don't have any stats in terms of how many different lineups we've seen in the last, you know, four or five games, but it seems like every week they're changing it up and doing something new. Don't you think that 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 might be stunting their ability to kind of move the ball in the first half? It it seems like they've they've been really choppy the last few games and and maybe it's because they have new players in in different areas. I mean, do do you think that all these lineups, I I know we criticize Jay heaps for kind of running out the same guys week after week, but don't you think there's a bit of a balance where you have your consistent lineups and you're not afraid to try something new, but 
do you, do you think that maybe Brad Friel is running out different lineups every week and that kind of um, having a new lineup every week is kind of counterintuitive? Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think what we've seen recently in particular is they've kind of taken a more defensive strategy in a lot of road games. Um, some some bit forced with the, the injury to Bunbury, but we've seen more of this false nine move with Fagundes on the road. And I don't think that really works particularly well. Some, you know, there's been some success here and there, but, you know, as teams figure that out, I don't think that's a strategy that, that works. Um, it, but it, that was something that we kind of saw towards the end of the Steve Nickel era in New England, where he'd go on the road and play more defensively and kind of just play for that draw. And it didn't work for him. And I don't think it's working for Brad Friedel. Um, and I don't think it's helping the team out, like you said, to, to have all these changes. You know, yes, you, you, you tinker with the lineup here and there when guys aren't performing. And I, I, I like what Brad Friedel was doing earlier in the season when, you know, one guy had a really bad game or maybe two really bad games in a row. You, you take him out of the lineup and, and put somebody else in. But now, like you said, we're seeing all these changes in formation and it's just not working. And I don't think, you know, the ideas that Brad Friedel are trying are particularly good ones, um, you know, with the exception of finally seeing Kellen Rowe back at the number 10 you know, I was you know, glad to see that change made again. But, yeah, I agree with you. The, the changes aren't helping. Um, the back line, he's starting to, it seems like it's, you know, trying to be more consistent now with Annie, Bob, Mancy, and Bai, and Farrell, you know, getting a couple games out there. But offensively, nothing's really working, and the, and the changes, I don't think, are helping things. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said, and, and I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. I, I don't know why they moved Christian Pineda to the right wing. Maybe that's just something you want to try out to see how well he can play uh, you know, on that side. But I, I kind of feel like a must-win game, I feel like you need your best attacking player in his role. And you know, he, he played okay on the right side. He seemed to I, I, I don't know. He, he crossed the ball in a lot, and they weren't very dangerous. He kind of seemed kind of isolated on the right wing, and he he never really seemed to fit his role. And them them coming at halftime, keeping him on the right wing, it seemed like they were kind of running an experience or, or sorry, an experiment uh, more than you know trying to win a game. You know what I mean? It, it seemed like you know we we talked kind of last week about playing for 2018 or playing for 2019. Um, you know, at, at first it seemed like a game where. You know, maybe they just want to see how well Pania can play on that right side compared to the left side. But, um, you know, I, I, I think this was the game where you needed three points. And I think moving Pania to the right side and moving Fagundes to the left, it, it was just a very strange decision in my mind to, to why you mix things up so radically. And, and that, I think, is a reason why we saw so much, uh, so little activity in the first half. Yeah, I agree. And there's one last point I wanted to make about this game, or one last point of discussion I wanted to talk about before we, you know, moved on to Twitter questions, which, which we, I think, we got a lot of good ones. Um, but you, you know, touched on it briefly. Another set piece goal the Revolution conceded. I think this one, you know, some of the blame has to fall on Matt Turner. You went for the ball and and just didn't get it. Um, Kellen Rowe also kind of looked to me like fell asleep a bit on this one, where you know he he probably thought Matt Turner was going to get it, and has you know, Lawrence Loom got a step on him and, and stabbed it in because of that. Um, but, you know, we've talked about it all season, how bad this Revolution team is on set pieces. And it seems like, you know, there's a different guy you can blame on each one of them for that mental mistake. Uh, and this one, you know, perhaps two guys you can blame. Uh, but, you know, from everything that I've heard from the guys that, you know, attend practice regularly, this has been something that Brad Friel has been driving home to them week in and week out, you know, marking on set pieces and, and, and making sure to not lose your concentration. But it keeps happening. Uh, is is it you know, fair to still blame Brad Friedel for you know the loss of concentration of these guys, or who deserves the blame for at this point of the season they're making the same stupid mistakes on set pieces when you know from everything I've heard, you know as you'd expect they're practicing this pretty much every day in practice to try to get it right. Um, well, I think you said it earlier that one particular individual was responsible for that goal. 
And that one particular uh, individual went out to kind of punch the ball away and kind of mistimed it. And uh, that I, I refuse to slander that one particular individual. As you know, I, I uh, do not want to criticize this person as I am Team Turner Train. And you seem to be hopping off, Sean. I'm not very pleased with you that you're uh, <laughs> abandoning me over here. But, um, yeah, it, it was Matt Turner's fault. I think that's that's the blame. He'll, he'll own up to it, too. Uh, he goes out for the punch. He just kind of misses it. And... You know, Portland uh, gets a foot on it, slides it home. Um, you know, very unlucky play. I don't really think he can place a lot on Brad Friedel because if Matt Turner punches that ball away, then we're not talking about it. So, um, you know, I, I do think set pieces has been a weakness for this team, and I don't know how you fix it. Um, but I, I don't think any blame goes to uh, Brad Friedel. I think that's just Matt Turner uh, mistiming a run and punch. Well, then I'll ask you a question that I pretty much know how you're going to answer. Is it time to give somebody else a shot and goal other than Matt Turner? Because I think it's fair to say that you know he hasn't looked his best during this nine-game winless streak. How dare you, Sean? How <laughs> dare you? Um, so I don't think that playing Brad Knighton is really going to offer you anything. We know who Brad Knighton is and what he can give you. And I think he's a solid backup veteran keeper, but he, he's not the future keeper of the revolution. Um, I think that you could go back to Cody Cropper, but we saw a full season of Cody Cropper, and I don't think the reviews were extremely positive. Um, I think you could play him if you wanted to drum up trade interest. I, I don't mind that idea. Um, but I think Matt Turner is your goalkeeper, at least that I can see, unless you go out and bring one a, a, a new goalkeeper in the offseason, which I don't think it's it's necessarily a huge need for the Revs. Um, so I, I would stick with Matt Turner. I think he could use the game experience going into 2019. Um, he's still a young keeper. He's going to make mistakes. Um, and and you know, it's one of those things that. Um, I think if you give him a full season, it's easier to evaluate him at the end of the year. I know he's kind of been struggling a little bit lately, but uh, as I say, I, I think he's kind of growing into that role. And I would like to see him end out the season. Um, just give him a full year to see uh, how he does uh, on the whole. Uh, I don't think Cody Cropper is part of this team's plans. And I don't think going to Brad Knighton, who's kind of in the later years of his career, will benefit you much. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I take. Obviously, I'm extremely biased. Uh, but you know, what do you think, Sean? Are you going to just totally disagree with me and just uh, anger me? Or? So so my thought here is I don't think that um, Matt Turner has been playing particularly well these past few months, but I also my, I agree with you that Brad Knighton can't be the answer at, at 33 years old. And you know, Brad Knighton is a perfectly serviceable backup keeper. I think he's a good guy to have on the team. Um, but we know what he is. You said that. I agree with you. you know, Cody Cropper, the fact that he's not making the 18 – you know, we got to remember that Cody Cropper was starting at the end of last year um, for Jay Heath. I don't think Cody Cropper did particularly well, but the fact that Brad Friedel, you know, if there's one thing that I will certainly give him the benefit of the doubt on is, is knowing a good goalkeeper based on, you know, his career and who he is. Um, but the, and the fact that Cody Cropper can't sniff the 18 uh, makes me think that, you know, he's not doing well in training and, and, and therefore I can't see a way to put him in. If, if Cody Cropper was a guy that was making the 18 every week in, in Brad Knighton's place, I would like to see him, you know, go out there and, and get a shot uh, at this point, but, you know, I completely agree with you. Nothing's to be gained by putting Brad Knighton out there, as we both said and as we both agree. You know, the chances of making the playoffs are, are gone at this point, so, you know, you got to play the young guys like Matt Turner and see if he can turn things around, and, and you know, and if, if he can't, 
Um, you know, maybe maybe you rethink things in the off season. It would seem crazy that this team would go out and get a goalkeeper based on you know having Knight and Cropper and and, and Turner. I, I do think Cropper is probably going to be gone after this year. But um, you know, if Matt Turner continues to you know play a bit subpar, which I think he has recently, um, you maybe you have to reconsider consider things in the off season. But yeah, at this point, there's I don't think there's anything you can do that would help this team long term as far as the switch there. Um, and, and with that, I don't know if you had any more thoughts in the game or if you want to jump into Twitter questions. Um, well, I'll, I'll just kind of follow up too. And I, I think this is another situation where maybe Matt Turner set the bar too high. Where, you know, he looked like an MLS all-star at the beginning of the season. And now he hasn't had as great of a, a summer and fall or early fall, I should say that I, I think, uh, fans, you know, your expectations were so high and, and right now they're so far from those expectations that I think, um, fan reaction and your reaction, uh, is uh, a little too, uh, uh, I don't want to say harsh, but um, it, it seems like he's worse than he actually is. I think throughout this entire season, he has been an MLS starter call, caliber goalkeeper. Uh, you know, e- even yesterday where his only action where he missed the punch, I, I understand it's a bad look. But, um, you know, he had a good, decent game against Philly last week. Um, you know, he still is able to make good saves. I don't think he's making horrible, horrible decisions. He just makes the occasional error, which I think every goalkeeper does. So, um, yeah, that, that's just all I'll say. I, I think he's uh, going through a bit of a dry spell. And I, I think if you give him out the rest of the season, you're right. If he continues to struggle, then we have a better idea of what he is. Um, and so I think it's a matter of if we're giving up on Matt Turner just yet. And I think the answer is no. Um, in terms of the game yesterday, is there anything else I want to add? Other than I'm just really glad that that chance in the 92nd minute was a miss. We haven't really gone into that. But what a breakdown by uh, by and Annie Bob on the left side um, to let uh, – I forget who, who made that cross to Milano. But that was just a total defensive breakdown. That was probably the biggest defensive error on the night by the Revolution. Um, and I think if you're – between the set piece and that play – you know, the only two really uh, offensive chances by Portland were converted into goals. Uh, I think this would be a much more uh, dark conversation uh, today about the revolution if they blew another game like that at home. So I'll, I'll just add that one. And I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Well, I, I agree with you on kind of along the same note. Um, that chance that Till Bunbury missed in the 25th minute, you know, does he need to do better on that? Because I, I think that should have been a goal. 25th, 25th second, sorry. <laughs> just less than a minute. Was that the, the one game. that he just skied over the bar? The one that the one that Kellen Rowe teed up to him, and he was basically behind the defense and just took a touch too many, and uh, well, actually didn't take a touch too many. Launched it into the the foot yes. of Antonella. Yeah, yeah, he um, it, he had a, a few plays like that where he just couldn't square up the ball properly. He really had a bit of a tough game, he, even in the first minute. That play where he's on frame. I mean, he chipped that ball very wide yeah. of the net. Um, you know, and Teal Bunbury's whole, um, I guess, value to this team is uh, getting shots on frame, being in the right spot at the right time. He, he seemed a little bit off. I don't know if his injury is still kind of bugging him a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think throughout the entire game, I'm not sure how many total shots he had. He must have had three or four. I don't know if he got any of them on frame. So um, maybe he got one on frame. I don't know. But but he, he had a really, I don't want to say poor game, but he, he didn't seem to be right yesterday either. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think he had a good game either. And you're right, he did have three shots, none of which were on target. Um, he had a couple opportunities that he probably should have done better with. That that cost the Revs um, a bit. And yeah, that, that, that chance at the end of the game, and we could have seen the Revs drop all three points, so it would have been you know, absolutely devastating. And it would have fit with some of, some of the results of the season. 
There was another play too in the 77th minute. I, I, I noted when Christian Pena was on the left side, he t- he kind of toked toe poked the, the ball into the uh, the box, and it was a really really nice pass, but no one was there. And Teal Bunbury just uh, I think he was on a different page. He didn't run for it. So um, yeah, it was a a bit of an off night for Teal. But again, he's coming off of injury. Uh, hopefully he he's. Uh, you know, back to full form uh, for New York. So uh, you, you want to hop into Twitter questions, John? Yeah, let's jump to those. All right. So uh, Zach Grimes uh, asked us, were the Revs unlucky not to get one or two penalties awarded to them? Um, I, I went back trying to think of uh, where the fouls were. I know Bunbury went down in the box on one play, but that didn't necessarily look like a penalty to me. Anything strike stand out to you in terms of uh, the, the Revs not getting a call? I do recall a couple of times where the Revs, you know, took a bump and, and went down in the box. I think, you know, any of those that I can remember would have been kind of soft calls. Um, I can understand why you'd be frustrated that, you know, when a Revolution player is taking a tap into the box and, and goes down, that it's not a call, certainly, um, with all the, the calls that have gone against the Revs this year. But uh, I don't think there was anything egregious that should have been a penalty kick for the Revolution. Um, I don't think they can feel too hard done by by there. But if if we miss something here, I'd be happy to see someone tweet what what minute we should go back to and look at. But I can't recall anything that I saw um, that thought that should have been a stone cold penalty. I recall a couple of soft things that um, you know, if you're you know, being generous, maybe you could could justify. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Um, Mike Kennedy asks us, does starting row have the desired effect? I kind of went into it. I, I thought it did. I thought he was pretty dangerous. I know the pass accuracy of 64% looks bad, but I do note he was one for 10 on crosses. A lot of those crosses were kind of desperation towards the end of the game. They were giving him the ball on the right flank, and he kept swinging it in. So um, I, I think that pass accuracy doesn't tell the whole story. I thought he was uh, pretty dangerous the whole game, and he, he had some really good runs. I think he provided a bit of a spark. Um, any, any additional commentary from you, Sean? No, I, I mostly agree with that. He, again, I don't think he had as much of an influence as you would have liked from your number ten. But you know, the few plays, the few good things that the Revolution did in this match, he was at the center of. Um, so you know, again, I'm not sold on him being the number ten the rest of the way, but I do think he's earned another opportunity there. Um, and I do think this was a situation where you know none of the, the three guys at the front of the midfield um, had their best games. Um, but of those three, he was probably the best performer. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd give him another shot, but I, again, not enough to, to sell me that he's going to be the guy the rest of the way. In terms of, yeah, I guess the, the term desired effect, I think that's the desired effect you want to see a, a little, uh, better pass accuracy you want more, three more points influence, maybe yeah. you want a goal maybe you want more shots on target so i can't say yes absolutely but he, he did do what i think you kind of expect him to do which is to kind of come out and provide a spark i, I so i'd like to see him get more minutes well, i look, think he's if, great if Bun- in that right mid no, go ahead yeah if, if bunbury puts away that chance in the first minute and then you know they still score that scott caldwell goal that's set up by him i don't think anyone's complaining about his performance that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I, I still think he should be playing. They should have Fagundes as the 10 and have Roe out on the right wing. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Well, Apparently, he's Fredel said he's getting more minutes down the stretch. So uh, I'm curious to see how he's played. Because, I mean, I guess speculation, which is Fagundes coming off at halftime and, and Fredel criticizing players not for providing head and heart. I mean, maybe Roe is suddenly in this competition for the number 10 going forward. Well, and, and maybe um, next week you do see Fugunozo back in the middle and you see Roe back in, in central midfield further back because Caicedo's out. Um, and, you know, it's, oh, it's, right. it's funny yep. It's funny looking forward to the LAFC game, what LAFC has done with Lee Wynn and kind of playing him more of a two-way guy um, who I don't think any of us ever really saw him as that type of player, but he's doing it for LAFC. Um, Kellen Rowe is a guy we have seen as that type of player, so maybe there's a chance for him to, you know, switch around even further and, and you know, kind of play as that second 
center midfielder behind Fagundes next week. So I'm curious to see what happens then. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to uh, Tyler, uh, who specifically asked us about the press. Uh, and he, I, I do remember this question. I remember having this conversation with Brian. Uh, he asked us back in, in the spring if week after week in the press, if it made you fitter or ultimately if it wore you down faster. And is it fair to say uh, with this team this season, if it's broken them down and kind of worn out their legs? I remember, Sean, you said that you, you kind of felt it had that effect where, you know, throughout the season and the heat, um, your your team is not going to be able to play week in week out ninety minutes in that press system. Um, do you still feel that way? And is this season uh, kind of proving your theory? You know, the the funny thing is, um, I I did think that way going into the season, and I still kind of think that way. But when you actually look at how the games have played out, I don't think there's you know maybe in the ninetieth minute we've seen the revolution be gassed a bit and teams have come at them. But like in this Portland game, for example, I don't think it was a situation where you know they were gassed in the ninetieth minute. Um, and that's what cost them. I think, they, you know, as we talked about, I think they played better in the second half. It was a lack of urgency in the first half that kind of, you know, prevented them from from getting off to maybe a better start. Um, so, I, you know, I, I do think that the press can be damaging on a team, but this is a Revolution team that, you know, is pretty young. And again, due to you know poor performances mostly, we've seen them rotate a lot from from Brad Friedel. So I think the guys have actually stayed. You know, relatively fresh. Yes, there were some times in the middle of the summer where they had you know, back-to-back games in 90-degree heat or, or extremely hot weather that you know they, they might have looked tired. But you know, I, I actually don't think that's what, what's been the Revolution's problem this year. Yep. No, I, I agree. And I, I do like the press. I, I think there are some players that uh, kind of thrive in it, like uh, like Scott Caldwell. You can kind of count on uh, one or two two interceptions in the uh, attacking third uh, game from him. Uh, so I, I do think it's added its benefits. But uh, in a game like yesterday, too, where the Revolution are in control and you don't really see that press that much. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of their downfall because they don't seem to know what to do. Uh, but um, moving on uh, at Den Dun 29. Uh, why did we not get a left back? John, any theories? That is a great question. I have no idea why the Revolution didn't get left back because we saw so many guys change hands mm-hmm. in the league or so many guys come into the league that played that exact position. Um, you know, they've spent a fortune on Somi and Dielna, who, yes, he's his primary center back, but you know, also a guy that they've talked about versatility can play left back. Um, you know, that maybe made them hesitant to go out and spend again and perhaps risk signing yet another guy that is you know, overpaid and, and pretty poor at left back. Um, you know, I, we've seen Somi and Diana still can't get into the 18, so it shows that there's no faith there from Brad Friel, certainly. Um, and they're left with just Brandon By, who I don't think has been bad, but again, he's a rookie, um, and I think he's got a long way to go. So, yeah, I, I don't know what they were thinking not signing a left back because we saw there were plenty of them out there that were available and, and ripe for the taking. Uh, we talked about you know Waylon Francis. We, there were just so many guys that that moved hands. Portland had a, a left back that, that went, I believe, went to DC. Um, there were opportunities out there, and they didn't take them. I, all I can think of is they were trigger shy based on um, you know what <laughs> what what they've seen so far at their left back position and how much money they've wasted there. And and it makes you wonder too if if Chris Tierney doesn't get hurt, does that you know how how much of an effect does that have on the revolution this season because as the season went on you know that became a bigger and bigger concern and it all went downhill right when chris tierney uh tore his acl so um a quick question though for you sean i believe it was when seth from the bent musket was on a few weeks ago by the way make sure you follow the bent musket on twitter uh but uh sean i I believe seth asked me if uh i thought that andrew farrell would be would fit better at left back and move brandon by to the right side and at the time i I remember thinking that i I think 
think they just want to keep Andrew Farrell on the right side to because that's where he's always played. It's kind of more of a stable spot for him. They know what they're going to get. Whereas Brandon By, you're going to move up either way and and kind of get involved in the offense. So you know, uh, I think it was kind of something they were more comfortable with. But as time goes on, uh, I think Brandon By's offensive uh, ability is kind of limited on the left side because he doesn't have that great of a left foot. Um, and and I'm kind of coming around to that kind of logic a little bit more and I can kind of I, I kind of want to see Andrew Farrell at left back I, I think he might be um, a, a little bit better uh, what are your thoughts would you be okay switching uh, the the fullbacks and uh, switching sides on the field so I think I actually discussed this when on Twitter in a conversation with Seth actually at one point and you know back then I actually was you know thinking that you know that might make sense and um, I referenced Kevin Austin who um, had been moved to left back and actually played better there um, then he did it right back, kind of because he was forced to play more simply and, and you know knew what his strengths were, wasn't going to try to force things like we kind of saw him do it right back without much success. Um, but, you know, this game, and as we've seen recently, I think Andrew Farrell is getting better offensively. Um, I still don't think he's there yet, but, you know, he, he recorded two key passes in this game, I believe. Um, two key passes yeah. for two consecutive weeks. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, he's as he's doing more offensively, for me, it's harder to justify taking him out of that spot. If you had asked me, you know, three weeks ago, um, I would have been all on board, but now I'm starting to, to shy away from that idea. Um, and to be fair, when we've seen Brian By play right back a couple times this year, and again, he's a rookie, and those were you know, his first few games, so you can't put too much weight on it. I don't think he... Know, did that much offensively to, to wow me either. Um, so at this point in time, I, I wouldn't do it, but I totally get the sentiment. And if again, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I'd, I'd probably have said something else. That was another frustrating, uh, you, you talking about uh, Farrell moving up. I remember late in the game, Farrell had that nice low pass through the box and it was like the revolution. It went to Christian Pena perfectly, and it was almost like he was surprised that it made it through. And Pena, I think he skied, skied oh, the shot. I, I had arc. almost forgotten that one. That was kind of oh, that was, yeah, that was now that you remind me that that one uh, was you know about seventy yards higher than that. I think. Yeah, there were so many chances that were actually chances, but we don't really remember them as chances because the end result was a shot that was way over the net or a, a cross that was way off. I mean, th- that offense, you know, if they had done better on any one of those plays, they would have easily taken three points. Very, very frustrating game. But, yeah, I agree. I think we've talked about Farrell and the um, progress he's made. And I, I think I've said, you know, I think Brandon buys the starting right back next season. Um, you know, each week I, I really question that. I think Andrew Farrell has really come on as an offensive player. Uh, he's got the Camptons armband, so I feel like maybe Brad thinks he's given into this system. And, you know, he's made such great strides offensively. I really wouldn't be shocked to see Andrew Farrell kind of holding down that right back spot uh, for another couple of years. He, he seems to have made a lot of great improvements uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, I, I get where you're coming from. But um, anyway, ready the next one or do you have anything to add? No, I think I'm good on that one. What else we got? All right, so uh, we're going to go into Any Revs UK. He's uh, got another question, and he is a big proponent about playing the kids, uh, and he wants to know what our thoughts are on it. Uh, with the playoff hopes dwindling, as we talked about, um, is it time to start guys like Mark Segbergs, Enking, uh, and even Samoya? Uh, and, uh, you know, this also has to do with Brad uh, saying, you know, players are playing for their contracts. Um, with that context, uh, should we, shouldn't we have to see uh, Ferry, uh, sorry, Femi, Harivo, and uh, Brian Wright play a little bit more if they're playing for their roster spots? Uh, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this. Well, the, the first thing I'd say there is, you know, a lot of these guys, Femi, for example, I think he's been given a chance and, and hasn't taken it. Um, you know what you're going to get out of Femi at this point. So I, I don't think that he necessarily needs more time. I think 
Bradford Hill has made up his decision. I don't think he's going to be back next year. Um, you know, the other guys on that list, Segbers, um, it seems like he had a pretty good time in USL. Uh, I, I would like to see him get some minutes at some point, certainly as the season winds down. Maybe, you know, if, if you're really optimistic, if the Revolution, you know, lose the next two games and, and at that point you're finally conceding that they're not going to make the playoffs, then, yeah, it would be nice to see a guy like Segbers. Uh, Samoya, you know, guys that are drafted late in the Super Draft at this point are almost always never going to work out. Um, I, you know, if, again, Samoya, if he's not cracking the 18, um, given what we've talked about before, how the Revolution are go- had been going to many of these games without even a defender on the bench, natural defender on the bench, um, I, I have to think that he's not showing enough in, in practice to even warrant, um, you know, token minutes uh, on the field. Um, who, who are the other guys I'm, I'm leaving out here? Uh, Anking. 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 Yeah, I think I'd like to see him. Certainly he was signed this year. I don't know, you know, what his fitness is. Um, we know he had that you know illness that they didn't didn't disclose earlier in the season that kept him from training. Um, he's a guy that I think they have high hopes for. Um, whether or not he plays this year, I think he's going to be back next year. I don't think he's the guy that's on the list of guys playing for a contract. Certainly, uh, Harrell. On the other hand, I think we need to see more from. Um, he's making the bench again, as we talked about earlier. Brad Friedel talked him up big earlier in the season. Um, so he's a guy that I would like to see more from, but you know, a lot of those guys, they just haven't shown enough. They've, they've gotten minutes, you know, Wright's gotten token minutes, Femi's gotten token minutes and they just haven't really done anything. And if you're not cracking the 18 at this point, um, you know, Brad Friedel has shown a willingness to, to switch things up and give guys opportunities. If you're not getting opportunity at this point from, from Brad Friedel, you're, I, I have to assume you're not showing anything in practice. Yeah. And, and you know, each player is a little bit different. I, I mean, I know what you said about Samoya. Fourth round in the MLS Super Draft, I, I think he's someone that, you know, probably will will not get a chance, which is a shame. But um, I, I think they have, you know, he, he's going to be a center, central defender. Uh, I think that spot is, you know, Mancien is taking one of those spots, and I think they're still deciding between De La Mea and Anibaba. I think they're both playing for roster spots next year, and and so I think he's just never going to be able to prove himself in in that respect. Um, so I, I, I know Segbers. I think you know he was a first round pick. I, I think they do have some faith in him. Uh, he apparently played pretty decently um, in the USL. Um, so I imagine he'll uh, have a roster spot too. I'd like to see him though. Um, I think that Enking. Uh, you know, he's only 18. I, I think he's going to be on the roster regardless next year. I think they see him as a uh, long-term uh, prospect. Who? Sorry, I, I'm making the same mistake you are, Sean. I'm, I'm losing myself on who, who I'm missing. It was, it was uh, a long list. <laughs> yeah, so 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 those, those are the, the three guys who are kind of at the bottom of the, the, the roster. The other through Femi Haravun, right? I think you're absolutely right on Femi. I don't think he's coming back, and I, I think that's exhibited from the fact that he's outside of the 18, as we mentioned. Um, you know, I know he had a decent, you know, experience with the Revs, boy, was it 2015 now, 2016? I, I mean, it was seasons ago when he was uh, in the 18 with the Revolution, uh, and he's just never made his way back. I, I think he's kind of at the end of his rope with the Revolution, and, and I think he had a really poor performance in the U.S. Open Cup game, so I, I think he's pretty buried under there. Um, I, I would like to see Haribo. I mean, Brad has kind of gone to him at times. Um, they kind of, he seems to be tipping that Haribo is a guy that, um, has a future on the revolution. So I, I think that any revs UK is absolutely correct that if uh, they are out of playoff contention, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Caicedo sit out or maybe playing 30 minutes in relief uh, and having Haribo start these games and, and give him 90 minutes and see what he can do throughout an entire, um, an, an entire game uh, in terms of Brian Wright. That is probably the person who is on the bubble the most. I, I think that, 
he hasn't been able to do a whole lot. He seems to be able to get playing time, but really only because out of necessity. Um, I, I don't think he's someone that Brad Friedel trusts a lot. So um, again, I, I, I would like to see him get one or two starts and, and see him go a full game to see if he can uh, provide something over a full 90 minutes. I think going off of 10 minutes is a little unfair. So um, yeah, that it, it's it's person by person, but Either way, I think the overall sentiment, which is the, the Revs aren't making the playoffs this year, so let's see what we can get out of these guys, uh, kind of in, in the uh, on the bench or, or who aren't even in the 18 right now. Yeah, my, I mean, my general thought is, as much as you know, I can bash Friel for his tactics and what he's done. You know, he's the guy seeing these guys in practice every week, and if he doesn't think they're good enough to even make the 18 in some of these cases. You know, I have to imagine that given what we've seen, his willingness, you know, to, to switch things up and his willingness to play his guys and, and his willingness to, if somebody's playing poorly, pull them and, and give somebody an opportunity. I just have to think that and give them the benefit of the doubt that these guys aren't performing in practice. And yes, some of these guys we've seen from some minutes and they haven't performed. But, you know, if, you, if you're not even getting a chance on this roster, because if there's one thing you can say about Brad Friedel, he seems to be giving everybody a chance. Um, I, you know, I, I almost assume that you're just not good enough to, <laughs> to, to warrant one and, and won't be back next year i also want to point out too that i am amazed at the number of people i see on twitter that for some reason think christian machado is like a long-term staple with this team and that next year they need a clean house and they they keep five or six people and one of them is christian machado like i'm i'm stunned that i I, i've not been impressed from what i've seen i I know it's only 75 minutes give or take but even from the video i've seen online from him he seems like a backup at best and i know he just got here and i don't want to trash him too hard but you know i i'd give him a a start or two to see if he is mls quality but i don't know if you caught the the philly game sean i know you weren't in town but he he didn't really impress with me he kind of seemed to be a little bit behind the ball he didn't really have an impact on the game so um you know he, he wasn't listed on on any revs uk's tweet here but he's someone too that i think you know um you, you gotta give a, a if you give him a start or two i i'd be happy to see it because if there's any promise here i mean he's 28 you know, I, I think he is less likely to be on this team compared to Haribo, who is 22, or Scott Caldwell, who is 26. I think those players have a much more promising future than Machado at this point. But um, uh, that that's my little side tangent there, which is that, um, you know, I, I kind of want to see what Christian Machado has because right now I don't see it. No, I, I'm with you completely. And you just have to look at the situation of, of him coming here. Um, if you, you know, write all the reports, when he was looking to come here, uh, his, you know, it sounded like he didn't, necessarily have a team to go to and he was leaving because he wanted to, to raise his you know his, his child here that was due to be born and just the fact that there doesn't seem to really have been any interest from other teams for him based on you know what we saw uh, other than the revolution and you know from what I saw in that Philadelphia game he looked a bit a step slow and I've, I've heard things from other people that that's what they've seen from from him as well that he's you know step slow but coming in midseason is always difficult um, and you know I would like to see him get another chance to, to prove himself, certainly before you, you give up on him. Uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he didn't come back next season, but, you know, we haven't seen enough of him to, to, to form a complete judgment. I'm just, I'm not sure where the, you know, excitement has come from him. He wasn't a highly touted signing by, by any stretch. Um, there's been plenty of opportunities in games in which if Brad Friedel had faith in him, he should have brought him in as a substitution. You know, we, we talked about the game with, when Scott Caldwell got a red card, you know, why he, Machado's not coming into that game. Um, when Scott Caldwell is so close to a red card, if you think he's any good, uh, I don't know, but I don't know why people would be excited about him. Uh, but also, I agree, you know, you need to give him another chance to, to perform. Um, it's just the, the circumstances surrounding him coming here and, 
Um, it, it almost seemed out of out of desperation for him to come to the U.S. <laughs> because he you know was desperate to find a team and you know struggling to do so and had to buy out his contract. Um, I don't think he was a highly sought after player, um, so I don't know why you'd feel the the reason to be optimistic about him um, pending something else in the field. If he's not making an NASL NASL team in 2015 as a 25 year old, how is he an MLS starter at 28? You know what I mean? I, I, he must have really, you know, improved over those three years. You know, you know what I mean? I, 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 I don't know. Anyway, uh, James Downing asks us, uh, did you guys notice that uh, Montreal got a huge goal from their big summer window defensive signing in their critical game against the Red Bulls? Uh, I noticed that. Did you notice that, Sean? You know, it's shocking that guys like Wayne Rooney and, uh, you know, these teams that went out there and actually signed guys midseason have actually helped to, to turn things around. Uh, Montreal, another team that we talked about earlier in the year, um, you know, they were in the playoff position, but they, you know, played more games than everybody else. I didn't think they were particularly impressive. Uh, you know, you, you go out and you make a signing, a guy like Bakari Sagna. Uh, yes, he's older, but, you know, another fullback that can help a team out. So, you know, no, I'm not. I, I did notice that, and I'm not surprised that these teams that went out there and have made moves, and I, I, I forget it was, but I, there was another rumored guy that might come to Montreal as a free agent as well. Um, you know, teams, teams that were on the fringes and knew they needed to improve went out and improved. Um, you know, to be fair, the Revolution signed Machado and, and Michael Mancian, uh, Verde Castillo, and both of those two guys. But uh, it, again, I think we all agree that it wasn't enough. Should be uh, also sh- a kind of a listener note is that uh, Sean and I were dedicated to having a very short episode today because he had a fantasy football draft start at eight thirty and we are of course running along. So in case we, we I heard your uh, I heard your little uh, the noise go off in the background, Sean. So we'll, we'll we have one more question. We'll wrap it up. I know we're going long. Uh, That's James okay. Con- My priority is soccer. <laughs> It's not it's not a money league, so you're you're winging it anyway. Um, James Downing asked us another question too, actually about uh, Kellen Rowe. Um, why do we see redheaded stepchild Rowe all of a sudden? Was it the podcast? Is Brad listening? And um, you know, it, Brad might be listening, and he might want to just kind of stick it to me because I'm pretty sure I declared last week that we won't be seeing Kellen Rowe on the Revolution again this season. Um, so, but if he is listening, I mean, I think that it, it really kind of questions his ability to be a manager if he's taking tactic decisions from us, wouldn't you say, Sean? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know, Greg. I think you're underestimating your uh, tactical acumen. Yeah. So Am I? You, I, you I, gotta give yourself more credit. <laughs> but I mean, it, is, it is funny you you said that on on the show, and then uh, Brad Friedel this week in training. Uh, I think it was Sean Sweeney that reported, you know, mentioned that Roe was going to be seeing more minutes coming up. So I think I think uh, it might have had something to do with you. Flat out to spite me. <laughs> Flat out to spite me. There have been times, too, where we have, um, I, I, I think, uh, Gabriel Somi, we were a little harsh on him. And then suddenly he was dropped from the lineup kind of kind of quickly. Uh, I remember that being something that we we kind of were moved in really harsh on him. And then the next week he was out. Not that everyone wasn't harsh on Somi, but um yeah, I, I I don't know if Brad Friel is listening. I, I want to extend an open invitation to come on the podcast. <laughs> I think that'd be great. That'd be fun. That'd uh, be he'd, fun probably, he'd probably have some words for us, considering how this podcast is going today. I, I think, we, but but uh, overall, I, you know, I, I think it'd be a really interesting interview. I mean, I, I'm all for it. <laughs> so that's it for us today uh, on on Twitter questions, Sean. We'll we'll get to shout outs. You have anything this week? Not too much exciting going on in the world of soccer, although the U.S. national team is back in action. And if you're a fan of Americans Abroad, DeAndre Yedlin scored the first Premier League goal since Jeff Cameron a couple years ago. So it's been a while. Uh, good to see an American get back on the score sheet in the Premier League. And uh, I give a, a, a shout-out because this just popped up on Twitter, but uh, Jeff Laurentowitz has scored tonight. So 
old old friend of the revolution, still in league, still uh, <laughs> providing a, a solid impact for Atlanta. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to have him, huh? Well, you know, you, you you talk about guys in that revolution team that was so good in the in the mid two thousands, and you know, at the one of the unheralded guys was was Jeff Reynolds because he was surrounded with so many talented players, you know, Shari Josephs. Guy Clint Dempsey, Taylor Twelman, Steve Ralston. So he he maybe earned the praise he deserved. But uh, it, how nice would it be to see guys like him and, and Michael Parkhurst, who are you know really deserving of, of an MLS Cup title, win one with an Atlanta team that's been performing phenomenally well this year? No, it'd be it'd be great to see. And and he was always one of the likable players on the Revolution. It's pretty crazy. In 2018, he's uh, still playing at a high level on on a team, you know, doing so well in the standings. So uh, happy for him. Be nice to have guys like that on this team. But uh, it is what it is. Um, Sean, are we acknowledging any stadium talk this week, or are we just going to totally ignore that? <laughs> yeah, there's been the, the uh, stadium rumors. The Frontage Road site um, was brought up by, I think, just a random person on Reddit. Uh, but it is interesting that that land is, again, in conversations to be put up for land, for, for sale, because we know that was one that was, was you know mentioned around as part of, I believe, the Olympic bid, and it was one that was talked about by the Revolution before. It kind of disappeared off the face of the map. Um, it would make some sense, so I'm not, you know, I'm not buying into any stadium talk that anything's going to happen. But um, if I was going to watch one area, that one, there's some sense to it. But you know, I'm not, I'm not getting any hopes up until uh, there's a shovel in the ground. I won't believe it till I see it. That that was the exact same thing we we said last week because we kind of talked about the the stadium rumors um, that uh, that hopped up on Twitter. The the one thing I will say about this that I've I've noticed is that I, I listened to the hearing and they said the person on Twitter said it was a done deal and there'll be shovels and ground soon. And the public hearing sounded like they're putting it up for sale. And that's not to say that the crafts have not discussed that site with um, the city of Boston. And, and in fact, if you look at um, I know Sean Sweeney called all the cities and all the cities said they've had no discussions with the crafts. And then I think the city of Boston said there are no proposals in front of us. So they didn't deny that they talked to the craft. So, so maybe there is, uh, you know, maybe it's warming up a little bit, but it sounds like, you know, they specifically said they want to cast a wide net uh, and, and they want to get multiple offers and they want to see what the interest is. And the other thing too, that I noticed is that they, they mentioned that there was no appraisal, uh, done for that site just yet. So the, it wouldn't be under contract unless they had an appraisal in hand and they know what that value is. So um, it, maybe there are discussions, but I don't think it's a done deal whatsoever. And uh, as you say, I'm not getting excited until there's a press release press release from the craft saying that they have acquired the site and that a soccer stadium is going in there. So we'll see what, what happens next week. I'm sure it'll be a different site. And with that, let's take a quick talk about the Revolution's upcoming game. Um, as you mentioned, as we both talked about, they have a very difficult game on on hand, traveling to Yankee Stadium to play New York City FC on short rest on Wednesday. Uh, Luis Caicedo is going to be suspended. What do you think happens in that game, and what lineup changes are we going to see? Uh, I, I think Sahibo goes in for um, Caicedo. I, I think they're going to kind of bring an A lineup. I don't think they're going to go to the kids just yet until they're mathematically ruled out of um, playoff contention. So I, I think they'll just do the simple switch of um, putting in uh, Zahibo for um, uh, Caicedo in that game. I, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of the uh, <laughs> attacking midfield and, and forward. Uh, you know, it's been a completely crazy uh, uh, experience. Um, I, I'd like to see Rowe on the right, Fagundes in the middle, and Penny on the left. Um, but maybe Fagundes plays out on the right. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not totally sure how they'll, they'll line up there. Um, either way, I think it's going to be 
a loss. I can't see them pulling out a point against New York City. Um, it's just too good of a team, and the Revolution are just really struggling right now. So I'm going to go with a uh, 2 nothing loss. Yeah, my hesitation as far as lineup is the comments from Friedel, as we discussed earlier, were pretty harsh um, after a game in which I didn't think the Revolution played that poorly. Again, in the context that it was a very weak Portland team um, based on who they left out of the lineup. Um, so with that, I agree it's going to be Zahibo going in for um, for Caicedo when it, during a suspension. We saw Zahibo going for Caldwell in this game to, you know, for whatever reason. We talked about that earlier. Um, but I don't know how many other changes we're going to see. Uh, he, you know, he gave Rowe the, the run out to play the number 10 role the whole game. Um, so I, I kind of think we might see him out there again. You know, does Diego Fagundes go to the bench in this one? Is Juan Aguadelo get the start? Um, Aguadelo, I thought, was okay off the bench in this game. I didn't think he was phenomenal by any means. But, you know, he, maybe we see Aguadelo get the start and we see the same lineup except as Aguadelo instead of Fagundes. And that, that would actually wouldn't surprise me. Um, trying to read Friedel's mind, that's, that's my guess. Um, I'm with you, though. I don't, I don't see any way the Revolution get any points out of this matchup. I think this is going to be be a loss for the Revolution, and I don't even think they're going to find a way to, to score on the tight, narrow Yankees field. And uh, on that note, it is a weird schedule for the Revolution this week, so I'm not sure what our plans are for recording yet. Maybe we'll do it earlier in the week. Maybe we'll wait till after the U.S. game on Friday. So bear with us on that one. We'll try to keep you updated on, on Twitter and Facebook as we get more uh, more close to, to, to narrowing that down to what we actually want to do. Um, Greg, with that, do you want to give out your uh, Twitter handle and the Revolution Recap Twitter handle? Yeah, follow us at Revolution Recap. Uh, that's where I do most of my tweeting about soccer. You can also follow my personal account at gjohnstone12, where I tweet out memes. That's pretty much all I do on that account. So uh, definitely follow Revolution Recap. Maybe follow me. And you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Thanks again for everyone for listening. Thanks for Greg Johnstone for filling in for me the last couple of weeks as the host of the show. Uh, fantastic job on, on those episodes. So Really appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. And thanks again to all of our listeners. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.